All right, good morning. How are we doing, church? It's good to see all of you uh, this morning. Uh, how's, your, how's your summer going? You guys having a good, good summer? I heard an awesome out there. This is about the time for me that I usually get to where I enjoy the summer. The beginning part, I'm like, why isn't this more relaxing? Why? And then by about late August, I'm like, oh, I actually am really enjoying the summer. Just about the time uh, that it comes to an end, um, unfortunately. But we discovered something really cool this summer. We figured out that our kids are old enough that we can actually do day trips to the Jersey Shore. And that's like a whole new world uh, for us. So I retract all the negative things I said about Jersey in previous sermons. And I'm, I'm coming back around, right? Uh, but we discovered that we can get up early in the morning, we can drive about an hour and a half over there, um, spend the day at the beach with the kids, throw them back in the car, come back home, and, and it's actually been really enjoyable. So we've done that a couple times this summer, and um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a planner, and I like to think about things ahead of time, and so parking is always a concern, right? You're like, where are we going to park? What are we going to do? And so the first time we went over, there was a, a parking spot that was, we found it back this side street, because I don't pay for parking, that's like a, that's a given, right? So where's the free parking that we can get? And so I went down this side street and I found a spot, and it was pretty good, and, and it worked out good, but the kids kind of complained about the distance they had to walk and, you know, whatever. And so, uh, so another day popped up where we were able to go down, and, uh, and so we're driving down, and I'd been reading uh, through um, uh, this, uh, this book of Praying Life. Uh, many of you guys have read it. I read through it like five or six years ago, and I, and I uh, started reading through it again this summer. And uh, one of the things that he talks about in there is praying for parking spots. And um, this has been a, like a long, ongoing debate within our family uh, because Trina has always been a parking spot prayer. And I've always kind of taken the stance of like, ah, oh, you know, that, I don't know that that rises to the level of significance, that we want to trouble God with that. And, and it says in James, you, have, you don't have because you don't ask. And that's where she would look. And I would say, but it says you also, you don't have because you ask, but you ask in a selfish, unworthy way. And, and parking is selfish. Maybe God wants to build our character by having us park farther away. So we kind of always have had these kind of running, running jokes and, and, and kind of debates. But you know, we're going down, and, and I was challenging this book he talks about. Uh, praying for parking spots and, uh, and um, how Jesus, over and over again, when he talks about prayer, he's like, just ask, just ask, just ask, just ask. And then he does throw a disclaimer in the one time he says, now listen, you, you have to ask within my will. You have to, but, but over and over, what he's really saying is like, come like a child and ask. Just come ask. And, um, and so I was convicted of that. So like we're driving down and I was like, oh, and, you know, kind of just shot a prayer up to God, like, oh, God, it'd be great if you gave us a parking spot. And so we come in, and there's, like, this one free lot, and it's only got, like, 40 spots or so, like, right by the beach. And so we're, I'm like, oh, I'll just swing through there. And sure enough, there's this parking spot, right? So we pull in, and we park, and, uh, and I mentioned to Trina, I was like, you know, I was like, I actually prayed for that. And she's like, well, I did too, of course. I pray every time. Um, <laughs> And so I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, and so then, you know, we go, and then, you know, a couple weeks later, we had another chance to go down, and, uh, and we're going down, and so we're talking to Emma, and she's like, oh, man, I hope we get a good parking spot. And I was like, well, we prayed last time, and then we got that spot. We should pray right now as a family in the car. Like, let's, let's pray for a spot. And we're like, all right, yeah, sure. So, so we did it. We drive down. We get to that parking lot, and we're like, oh, look, there's another spot, like, right there. And we pull in, and then we get out, and we look around, and there was, like, four other spots that were open in this lot, like, Beyond, we're like, man, God, over and abundant, right? And it might seem like a silly example. And so either you're out there like, amen, brother, preach it. I, you know, I pray for parking spots all the time. Or you're like, well, that's kind of trivial and, and random. Um, but it really gets to the heart of the issue that we want to look at today is how close and personal and sovereign is the God that you worship? Do you, do you worship the God of the Bible? Do you worship the God as he's described to us in the Bible or have you kind of created and, and concocted a God 
um, that, that looks a little bit different, but that kind of fits into your image of what you think God should look like. Uh, we're going to be looking in Psalm 138 today, and we're going to look at a picture of what, what David has to say. And, and in a lot of ways, we're going to say, wow, we want to worship God in the way that David worshiped God. But um, uh, I first heard about this idea uh, from Tim Keller. If any of you guys listen to Tim Keller, read any Tim Keller, uh, he started referencing that there was this study that was done back in 2005 where they interviewed over 3,000 teenagers uh, to kind of get a pulse of like what is their religious belief system like for these the next generation coming up. And what they identified is they kind of created this new term for what the vast majority of these that they interviewed uh, believed in. It was called moralistic therapeutic deism was the name that they gave to it. And, um, and basically what, what the idea of moralistic therapeutic deism, this is, none of them would say that's what they believe. <laughs> Nobody would claim that as their belief system. But here's, listen to these five things that it says that, that they saw as commonalities with a lot of the teens. They said that they believed in a God who exists, uh, who created and ordered the world, and who watches over human life on earth. They believe in a God, uh, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most other world religions. Uh, number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Uh, number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a big problem. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. And so the author said that the system is moralistic, because it's about inculcating a moralistic approach to life. It teaches that central to living a good and happy life is being a good moral person. Now, the authors describe the system as being about providing therapeutic benefits to its adherents, as opposed to being about things like repentance from sin, keeping the Sabbath, living as a servant of the sovereign divine ruler, of steadfastly saying one's prayers, of faithfully observing high holy days, building character, etc., etc. Um, uh, and further as belief in a particular kind of God, one who exists, crea who created the world and defines our general moral order, but who is not particularly personally involved in one's affairs, especially affairs in which one would prefer not to have God involved. And so basically what they said is they, they believe in like the, uh, the very generic outline of the Christian faith and in a lot of other world religions. And so you can see why, if that's what a lot of people believe, that it's very easy to say, well, no, all the world religions, they all teach the same thing. They're all kind of, you know, there's the big guy in the sky. He kind of set it all in motion. He told us to be good. He's off doing other stuff. Uh, you live your life. If you're, you know, low-level sin, he's not too worried about that because he's, you know, he's got bigger fish to fry. But if you get in a big uh, you know, if you get in a jam, you can reach out to him, and he will answer his phone if, 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 if you got to reply. Right? That's, that's how our culture really kind of generally views God. And if most of us are honest with ourselves, there's parts of that that filter their way into our hearts and our way of thinking as well, that we tend to think that God, hey, God, you gave me gifts and talents and skills and abilities, and I think you want me to just go do my thing, and if I get stuck, then I'll come ask for help. But really what God wants is for us to continually daily, moment by moment, learn how to abide with him, to, to walk through life with him, to see him working in everything. Paul Miller, who wrote that book, Praying Life, he said, uh, he talked to his mom about praying for parking spots, and she's like, well, how else would you get a spot? Like, it was so foreign for her to not pray for a parking spot, she couldn't even comprehend of not involving God in that. And, and, and so the cool thing is that as we did that, we got to see God's hand at work. 
Uh, this, this past week, my family was on uh, vacation down in Ocean City, Maryland. And uh, when we looked at the, the week, at the beginning of the week on our uh, weather app, every day called for like rain and, and bad weather. And, and the one night it was, uh, it, was, it was going into, I believe it was going into Wednesday. And at 10 o'clock at night, it had thunderstorms all morning in the app. And I was like, well, I was like, I'm going to pray for good weather. You know what I mean? I don't know if God's going to answer that prayer. I don't know if that's a selfish prayer. I haven't had time to sort it all out. I'm just going to pray that, that we're able to have a beach day tomorrow. And so I prayed over it, and, uh, and we get to the beach, and there, there's some clouds kind of hovering, but a little bit, they, you know, a couple drops of rain came down, like not even, it wasn't even sprinkling, and then it just cleared up, and it became this beautiful sunny day. Now, did God answer my prayer for good weather just for me personally, <laughs> out of all the people in the whole, I, yeah, I don't know, but I know that I, I, know that I brought it before my father, and when, when the weather was good, it gave me an opportunity to celebrate God's goodness, and I was able to say, wow, God, thank you. Um, you know, and, 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 and so it, it allows God to enter in to the story that we're living. And, and the reality is, is he's there. We just, we lose track of it sometimes. And we go on, a, we, we go on the mission trips. Like, right, you go, to, you know, you go uh, down to the Gulf Coast to work, or you go somewhere where there's an emergency, or you go to Brazil, and you're reading the Word, and you're like, wow, I just opened the Bible, and what I read applied directly to my life today. And, and then somebody reaffirmed it, and, and, and we think that these are like these special moments when God like stopped being busy over here, and he came, and he just touched our life. But the reality is, is God's always doing that. We're just most of the times too busy to stop and listen, to stop and look at him. And so let's look at, at Psalm 138. And let's see uh, what David exhibits to us. There's three things I'm going to point out here uh, this morning. But here's what it says, Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased, and all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Um, you might read through that and you might be like, oh, that, you know, that's a nice psalm. I don't really know. For, for whatever reason, um, at the beginning of the summer, I read that psalm and it just, it just jumped off the page to me. And I had been um, uh, just thinking about it. In fact, I have a couple guys in the church that we get together and we, and we try and write some songs. We haven't written any that we felt were good enough to bring before you yet, but at some point that may happen. But um, after meeting with those guys, the one day I came back and I just sat down and I wrote a song, like just based off the words. Of the song. For whatever reason, God's been drilling this psalm into my heart. And so I've been kind of exploring that. And um, originally the plan was for today that I was supposed to preach Psalm 22 again. Brian and I were going to split it up and we were going to share that psalm and as we looked at it, we we're like, man, you can't have the suffering without the victory that Brian talked about last week. If you, if you try and chop it in half and say, hey, let's talk about suffering one week and victory the next week, uh, you kind of miss, miss the whole thing. And I was like, man, it's better if you just preach the whole thing. And, uh, and it, freed, uh, it freed this slot up to preach this psalm today. So what is God going to do this? I don't know. I, I prayed that he would use this. I think that I see threads of my life being woven together. And, uh, and my hope is that, that, that this psalm will be helpful for for some of us this morning. But there's three things I see in here that, that God is doing, uh, and he's doing it in David's heart. 
Um, and it's three attitudes or practices, which I think we need to, to hang on to. Uh, and, uh, and it's one is wholehearted thanks and praise. The second one is past, the past and the future inform our present. And the third is that God is the one who will fulfill his purpose. So let's break those down. The first one, a life of wholehearted thanks and praise. Uh, David says, I, I, th I thank you, Lord, with my whole heart. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before thy gods, I sing your praise. What does it look like to be giving God thanks in a wholehearted way? What, is it, what does it look like to give God all of your heart? An undivided heart. That, that, uh, it doesn't mean that you don't have any leftover for your spouse or your kids or your dog or, or your favorite sports team, right? It doesn't mean that. It's not an exclusive thing where it all belongs to God and can't be. It's, it, it's just that, that there's no part of your heart that you're withholding from him, right? That, that you wholeheartedly thank God. It's constant. It's daily. It's in good and in bad seasons. It finds a reason and a cause to thank God, whatever is going on. It's similar to a wedding vow, right? It's, it's living life with God where you say, God, I'm going to choose every day to come with an attitude of thankfulness before you. Whether this day brings struggles and trials, I'll thank you for the perseverance and the, and, 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 and the lessons that you're going to teach me in it. If you bring me blessings, I will thank you for it. When I wake up and the sun is shining like it is today, I can thank God for the, for the beauty of, of, of his creation um, I, I, we just come with a, a spirit, a, a covenant, where we say, God, I'm going to live a life of thankfulness before you. And just like a marriage covenant, sometimes it takes work, right? <laughs> you know, when you get up there on your wedding day and you say, I promise I will love you in richness and poorness and sickness and health. Well, when, when poorness and bad health comes, those bonds get tested, right? And we got to say, like, hey, is, am I going to keep this covenant? My feelings might be taking me somewhere else, but do I, do, I, do I, and there might be mornings, hey, I'm just like the rest of you. I wake up some mornings and I just don't feel it. <laughs> just wake up I'm like, I am not feeling it today. Whatever it is, I don't even know what it is, but I don't feel it, right? I just want to go back to bed. I don't want to do this. And you have to make the choice to say, hey, I'm going to live with an attitude of thankfulness. And it's got this unusual phrase in here. It says, before the gods, and it's this word Elohim, which is sometimes used to describe God, but, but can also be used to describe angels. Um, it could also be talking about false deities. And we know that David dealt with a lot of uh, the surrounding countries and, uh, and people around them were worshiping false gods. But David worshiped the one true God. And he went to Goliath and he said, Goliath, hey, hey, I serve the Lord, right? Like uh, the, the God who created all this, that's the God that I serve. And so, so David had experience and he said, whether people are proclaiming a false deity, or whether it's before the angels, whoever it is, I'm going to sing the praises of our God. And look at what he was thankful for. He was thankful for God's steadfast love, for his faithfulness, and ultimately for God's character, his name, and his word. You guys remember the 90s, like, hip-hop phrase, like, word is bond, right? Like, word is bond. And then it became word is born. Or maybe those are two separate things. I don't know, but, but now it's just word. You know, somebody's like, hey, man, how you doing? Uh, you know, how'd you do on that thing? And, and uh, you're like, man, I did really good. And like, word, word, right? Like, um, but word just means word, you know, that your word originally came from this idea of your word is your bond. That your, your word, if you say you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And this is the reason, uh, whatever's going on in our life, we can th always thank God for this. His steadfast love, his love for us never changes. He's faithful to us. He's exalted above all his name and his word. 
An exalted name is exalted his word. He's got a good character. Uh, the number one thing to be thankful for God is that he is a good God. We can trust in that. Because that way, when things go bad in our life, we don't have to say, like, man, is it, is it because God is evil? <laughs> is it because God is wicked? Is it, you know, I, I don't know, is, is, is he just cruelly punishing me? We can trust that we serve a good God, and that enables us to go through suffering. Because then when bad things happen, we can say, hey, something bad is happening, but I worship a God who is powerful over all things, and he is a good God. And so whatever is going on in my life, whatever reason he's allowed this to take place, I can trust that he has a purpose that he's going to fulfill, and it gives us hope in the midst of the darkest situations. The, the moralistic, therapeutic, deist approach, it doesn't have an answer for that, right? If the purpose of life is just to have fun, and the way you get it is by being good, and if you're good, but then your fun is taken away, then you're left confused, right? You're like, well, what happened? You know, where, where did God go? I thought, I thought he was going to give me a good life. I thought, I thought everything was going to be easy. But when trouble comes in, in, in David's kind of way, he's just watching for God to tie the threads together. He's like, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but I trust that you're good. I believe that you're going to do something good in this, in the midst of all this trouble. Now, how did David get to have a, 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 a thankful heart? How did he come to this place? He's the king, right? What need did he have? Well, you see further down in the, in the psalm, um, in verse 6, he praises God for this. He says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Now, we don't think of King David being lowly because we think of him as King David, right? The slayer of Goliath and, and the king of all Israel. But, but you remember the first time that we find David, a prophet goes to his dad's house and says, Hey, bring all your sons before me. I'm going to choose a new king. And he brings all the sons and lines them up. And he's like, Nope, nope, nope. I don't see him. Where is he? And he's like, oh, well, I do have another son, but he's, he's off watching the sheep, right? He didn't even warrant anybody being sent to the field to get him to bring him back in. In his own household, he was the lowest, right? When he went to the battlefield to see what was going on, his brothers mocked him and said, hey, you just wanted to come see a battle. You know, you're, you're just here to bring us our sandwiches. Don't, don't start talking all tough, right? And so David knew what it was like to be lowly. King Saul... Uh, invited him to come play the harp for him, and then threw spears at him. <laughs> David had to hide in a cave from him. His own son betrayed him. So, so David knew what it was like to be brought low, and therefore he had a spirit and a heart of thankfulness. I was pondering this because I was, I was thinking for us as Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, we, ha we should have a natural source of thankfulness in that we were dead in our sins and because of Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven, and we've been adopted, and we've been redeemed, and we've been brought to life. But I was thinking, how, how could David have that before he knew about Jesus, before he knew how redemption would take place? Uh, we have it, we're in a better position than him, right? But, but David had it because he knew what it was like to be lowly. We become lowly when we feel the weight of our sin, and we become thankful when we realize that Jesus has attained our forgiveness. And so one of the questions I have for you this morning is, is do you feel like God is distant right now? Are you in a, few, a period where you're like, uh, hey man, I just feel like God is really distant. I want to encourage you this week to, to, to think about this, this uh, psalm and this verse and where he says, God is near to the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. I'm not saying this in an accusatory way, but is it possible that pride is what's separating you from God? Is it, is it possible that your own pride, your own self-sufficiency, uh, your own 
your own estimation of yourself as the thing that's keeping God distant. Maybe God wants to draw near, but you're keeping him at arm's length. Oh, God, I'm not going to pray for a parking spot. I'm not going to pray over that work situation. That's, you know, that's beneath you. God, I'm not going to pray. Uh, he wants you to come near to him. He's, he's, he's ready to, to engage with, with whatever's going on in your life. And so I want to ask you, is, is this you? Do you, have a, do you have a thankful heart? Do you have a wholehearted attitude of thanks before God? And one of the ways to identify it is, is one of the alternatives. Uh, are, you, uh, are you engaged in grumbling? Are you bitter? Are you cynical? Are you sarcastic? Do you feel defeated? Are you entitled? That's a huge one, right? When you're entitled, you're not thankful. When I ask my kids, hey, do you want uh, Chick-fil-A or McDonald's, and they're like, ah, I don't want either of those. I'm sick of that. <laughs> they don't understand where I came from when I was a kid, where like even going out to eat at McDonald's was like this rare treat. Like maybe once every couple weeks we would go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, right? Like, and so anytime my parents even mentioned it, we were like, yeah! But they think that they're entitled to that, and so it, it robs their thankfulness. It robs their joy. What is it in your life that, that you feel entitled to? <laughs> and is it stealing, stealing your thankfulness? What do we have that God hasn't given to us, right? Do you feel disappointed? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel bored? Do you feel confused? Are you drifting? I would encourage you that today is the day to trade that in for an attitude of thankfulness. And for a time period, it might be a covenantal sort of thing where you have to say, I'm going to choose thankfulness today through the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. But ultimately, it's going to become a habit. It's going to become a practice, and it's going to become part of who you are. Don't you love talking to people like that when you walk up to them and you're like, how are you doing? Man, I'm so grateful so many good things. I, I did lose my job, but man, now I've got all this time. Uh, I've been really reading the Word. God's been speaking to me, and I'm confident He's going to do something, right? Like, you love talking to people like that. You're like, man, that's I walked away encouraged, and that person, I wouldn't trade lives with them for a second because they're going through it, but I walked away encouraged because of their heart of thankfulness. Do you have a, a thankful heart? The second thing, uh, the past and the future inform the present. So David looks at God's past personal faithfulness, right? He says, on the day that I called, you answered me, and the strength of my soul you increased. David says, hey, I can remember a time when I was in trouble. I was really struggling. It was difficult, and I called out to you, and you answered. But here's what I love about that. He doesn't say, you answered, and you removed the problem. Sometimes God does that, right? But he says, you answered, and you increase the strength of my soul. So it's an indication that it wasn't the situation that was changed. It was David himself that was changed in that moment. Uh, and that's a powerful thing if you're willing to grab a hold of it, right? That um, uh, a while back I learned, I, I was praying for God to, to change the situation. And this is part of the, the progress, right? As a child, I was just like, God, I, I don't like this. I don't want this. Can you change this? Can you make it different? And little by little, he, he started speaking into my heart and, and saying, um, hey, instead of praying for the situation to change, why don't you change, pray that you would be the kind of person that could go through that and still be thankful? <laughs> why don't you make me the person that can thrive in the midst of this situation? And you can still pray to get rid of the situation, right? But, but God, remove the situation. But if you can't remove the situation, make me stronger. Increase the strength of my soul. Make me the kind of person that it can endure through this and can grow closer to you in the process. And I've seen God answer that prayer in my own life. 
in different ways. And so if you feel like you've been banging your head against the wall, praying for the same thing over and over and over again, and you feel like it isn't moving, don't stop praying, but maybe also pray, God, maybe what you're trying to change here isn't the situation. Maybe what you're trying to change is me, and you've allowed me to remain in this situation because there's something in me you want to change. And I pray that you'll strengthen me to see that and to be able to change in that way. And so David has seen him answer uh, the, the, the prayers in the past. And he's also, he has an eye to the future, right? He looks to God's total victory in the future. He says, the kings of the earth will thank you, Lord. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't seen all the kings of the earth bowing down before the Lord, right? That's not what we're witnessing at this point in time. But in the book of Revelation, we get a picture into the future, which, which David understood would be. In Revelation 21, verse 22, it says, I saw, this is in the future, uh, after God's kingdom comes, right? And he says, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so David says, hey, I know you've answered my prayers in the past, and I know in the future you will be completely victorious, and all the nations will come and bow down before you. And now I'm living in this in-between time, in-between fulfilled promise and fulfilled promise. And so what does he say? He says, I walk in the midst of trouble, and you preserve my life. And so now we see that David, as he's writing this psalm and saying, I give you thanks with my whole heart. And at the same time, he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm walking in the midst of trouble right now. I'm in it. But I'm confident that you're going to preserve me because you've done it before and I know you're going to do it again. And so right now, my confidence comes from who you are and who you've proven to be. Is that how you see your life? Do you, do you look at it this way when struggle, tr troubles and struggles, uh, do you say, man, maybe God's done with me. Maybe he's abandoned me. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end of the road. Or do you say, no, God, you were faithful before and I know that you're going to be faithful in the end. And so I believe you're going to be faithful right now. Or do you have a Janet Jackson spirituality, right? What have you done for me lately? Right? Some of us, that's our theme song. God, I liked yesterday, but today I'm struggling. So I'm mad. I'm bitter. I'm disappointed. Right? We, we, we've got we've to move beyond the 80s, right? The spirit of Janet Jackson must move on. God has done so much, and he will continue to do great things. But in order to see what he's doing, you got to track it daily. you got to pray over it. And then when he answers the prayer, you say, look, wow, God, I see how I prayed for that. And you answered that. And now I'm getting excited. And my, my strength of soul is increasing. So the past and the future inform the present. The, the last thing is that the Lord will fulfill his purpose in you. God has a purpose for you, and he will complete it. Sometimes we read that and we say, God has a purpose for you. I know the plans I have for you, right? And, and we're like, oh, man, that's like crushing. God has big plans for me, and I don't even know what they are. I don't know how to do them. I'm pretty sure I'm failing. And we can take encouragement and say, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. 
Philippians 1.6 echoes this. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So you've got to ask yourself, how is God using this current setback, this struggle, this trial, this difficulty, this failure, this defeat, this illness to accomplish his purpose? What is he teaching me? What is he trying to show me? How can I grow? How can I come out stronger on the other side of this? Right? I thought about quoting a Kesha song for a moment, but I'm going to let that one pass. But if you guys want to listen to the radio, you can check it out. But she's got a great song about that, about letting her past failures and, and, and bitterness leave and it making her stronger. It's the last time I'll ever quote Kesha from the, the pulpit, right? But This doesn't mean that we don't put work or effort into it. Just because the Lord's going to fulfill the purpose doesn't mean we, we go on the path that he lays out before us. And so whatever work he lays out for us that day, that's the work that we pour ourselves into. And so... Knowing that God is going to fulfill his purpose doesn't mean that we just sit back and wait for it to happen. No, we go forward in the things that we know that he's called us to do. And we take advantage of every opportunity and we go through our day saying, God, I know you've got a purpose for me. Where is it? Is it that person? Are they the one? Is, it, is that the thing? What, what is it that you want me to do? Where is my purpose? And you're looking, you're active, you're engaged, knowing that the Lord is the one who's going to fulfill it. Uh, when I was in, in school, we, uh, we uh, had shop class. I don't know if they still do shop class, but, but we did. And I made this wooden penguin thing. It was weird. And the shop teacher said, sand the penguin. And so I'm like, all right, sand the penguin. I did it for like five minutes. I followed him around for 10 minutes because all the other kids were doing the same thing. And then I handed it to him. And he's like, it's too rough. Keep sanding. So I go back, sand for like five minutes, follow him around for like 10 minutes. He's like, too rough. Go back, right? And uh, he was getting frustrated with me, right? Because he's like, dude, just go sand it until I, you know, you got to do a lot of sanding. But uh, we think of God like the shop teacher sometimes, right? We think like he's like, nope, nope, keep sanding, keep sanding, right? God wants us to keep coming and showing it to him. Whatever it is, whatever state it is, keep following him, keep pursuing him, bring your work before him and, and say, nope, it's too rough. I need to sand that down a little bit more. God's not like the shop teacher, right? God wants us to come to him. He wants us to draw near. He wants us to ask. He wants us to bring the work of our hands before him, let him examine it, uh, let, him, let him redeem it, <laughs> let him approve it if it's good, let him correct it if it's wrong. And we see this truly in Jesus, right? Jesus is the ultimate proof and example of this. His whole heart was devoted and fixed on the Father. He spent all day healing people from demons. If you or I did that, we'd be like, man, I th God, I got it. I think I'm, I'm in the zone. Like, I don't need, right? Jesus did it all day, and then early the next morning before it was light, he went off to spend time with his father because he's like, I need, that's what I did yesterday. I need to know what you want me to do today. He said to his parents, like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Jesus was obsessed with drawing near to the father, and we should be the same way. The past and the future intersected for us at the cross, <laughs> And in the resurrection, right, God's past faithfulness, his future provision were made possible at the cross. And when Jesus said, Father, not my will, but your will be done, he was saying, hey, I'm entering into unknown territory, but I'm going to trust that, that you are good and you will be good and you are good in this moment. That what you want, this plan, if there's any other way, but if not, your will be done. And God raised Jesus from the dead. God fulfilled the purpose that he had for Jesus. So what can you do? What can we do about this? We need to begin today abiding with Jesus. 
just go after him. Start pursuing him. If you haven't been praying, pray for five minutes today. If you've been praying for 10 minutes, pray for 15, right? Pursue him. And it's not always more. It's not always work harder. It's not always, uh, but it's it, it start opening our eyes to see what God is doing. Ask him for the little things. If they're selfish and, and petty, he'll, he'll convict you and correct you out of that. But just draw near to him. Start doing life with God. Make a habit of it. Let him work in and through you. Start with a parking spot, <laughs> right? Start small and let God build it into something big. Pray with me.